Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to have Ryan and Eric Cruz. They are brothers and co-founders of Moves Footwear. They're going to tell the story about how they came up with this idea for a new shoe concept, how they brought it to fruition, and then brought it to the Shark Tank. They've got a lot to, to share here on their entrepreneurial journey as well. Let's talk to Eric and Ryan. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome Ryan and Eric, brothers and co-founders of Moves Footwear, to the DLC Drop Podcast. Guys, thank you for joining me. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us, John. Absolutely. So you guys reached out to me on Instagram after seeing uh, one of the previous episodes. Really appreciate that. And I've I've done a lot of research on your brand. I've got to know you guys a little bit over the course of a few phone calls, looking into the brand, how you built this. So why don't you tell our audience to start, tell us in your own words, what is Moves Footwear? All right. So Moves Footwear is a convertible slipper that's able to go travel outside with you for quick trips. And it's able to do that from a detachable outsole. So if you see this right here, it looks like a sneaker when you're out, out and about, but it's actually a slipper. This outsole comes off and you're able to be in your slippers. And then when you got to go for a quick trip, you just kind of slide into your outsoles, pop in, and you know you can head out with your full system here. Yeah, that's incredible. And for our, our audio audience, Ryan showed the shoe and just pulled the outsole right off. And it's super cool how you've created something that is super comfortable inside, but also durable, wearable outside. Where did the idea stem for this originally yeah that was the concept to be you know comfortable and at the same time durable and it all started back when i was in college i went to uh, ngit i studied industrial design which is almost like product design and they tasked us for my senior thesis to invent or reinvent a consumer product so you know i talked to eric about my project and we started brainstorming and we took a look at a pair of our dad's slippers and saw how he was constantly wearing them in and out of the house they get destroyed we have to buy one every year we're like you know, plus no one was really paying attention to the slipper. You know, sneakers were very high end and it, everyone was focusing their attention there. But we were like, you know, slippers could be cool. We just have to try to make them cool. You know, we can make them a little more exciting. And that's what that's what we try to do. And when we were in the process of making the world's coolest, most comfortable and best slipper, we thought, you know, maybe it would be great if they would be able to travel outside with you for quick trips. And that's when the detachable sole came about. And once that once that happened, like we were like, OK, we really have something special here. That's awesome. So it sounds like you were studying this in school and it's a school project. You took a, a real life experience with your family and, and took that on for your project. Eric, what were you doing at the time? And when Ryan brought this to you, what was your reaction to that? I was really excited about the possibility. I mean, I've always an affinity for footwear, even since when I was a young kid. So just being in the footwear space was super exciting. And then when we started developing and like the product just began, began to evolve and re-evolve and take shape, it was just really interesting to see like a product that, you know, was derived from inspiration and certainly fits a need, but like continued to show different iterations. And those that we shared who were close to us, the product and, and the versatility and functionality behind it seemed to share in an equal excitement. So we knew that like there was something special that come about, but you know, we were very, there was very little experience on both sides of the production manufacturing end. So I believe at the time I was, I could have been in grad school at the time and I was just excited. So the day of Ryan's presentation, I called out of work. I, I was in attendance for his presentation to the professor while among other classroom students who were also tasked the same similar project. And I mean, Ryan can take it from there, but like, again, whatever, 
the the statement that how he recollects is that is, is pretty accurate because I was cool. there and I can attest. So now, what are the different roles that you guys play in the company? You're both co-founders, but do you have kind of collaborative experience and skill sets, or are you kind of doing the same thing but you've got extra bandwidth? Well, we definitely have a shared vision, and we know where we want to take the company. So we're always, you know in communication and trying to be on the same page with everything. But as far as disciplines go, I'm more of the creative side. You know, I handle the design, product design, website stuff, content creation, whereas Eric is more business. He's logistics. He's, you know, partnerships, you know, just operations, yeah. hiring, just, you know, I, I allow the business to thrive in the business area so that Ryan can focus purely on design and storytelling because that's, you know, an integral part of, of the marketing concept. So just allowing Ryan's strength to really show and not be hindered by any weaknesses. And, you know, I, I'm also allowed that same luxury. I can focus, you know, on the current state of the business and the overall health. That's awesome. I always encourage people to collaborate with people who have complementary skill sets. So like if you're yeah. a designer, you're a creative, you know, go connect with somebody who's got the business side or vice versa. And it's cool to see that happening in the same family. So have yeah. you guys always had that mindset of when I see a problem, create the solution? Or was this something that uniquely this class pushed you forward to do? Yeah, I think I've always had that, you know, just in the back of my mind, I was always thinking of ways to do things that are more uh, effective or just an easier way to do things. And, and when I heard about the industrial design program and how it was product design based and, and you know, I can create these products to make life easier. I jumped all over. I was like, yeah, that's, that's for me. And luckily I did. And, and, you know, it wasn't until the end of that, that I, I, I thought about this moves idea, but throughout the whole process, it was just fun to be able to create uh, products that help make life people's easier. Yeah. And for me, it was more of the option or the accessibility to control my own destiny. You know, I take yeah. full full ownership of my life and how I dedicate and spend my time. And the only really way to achieve that entirely is being an entrepreneur or a small business owner where, you know, you're more in control of decisions making and, and not just your, your, your life, but, you know, how, your career. Yeah, I heard somebody say one time that the benefits of being an entrepreneur is not riches, it's freedom. Yeah. And, you know, obviously yeah. all hope that uh, we're able to pay our bills with this. But yeah, I, I th- kind of tongue in cheek, you say like, yeah, I choose whatever 14 to 16 hours a day I want to work. Yeah. The man doesn't uh, make me do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in fact, what was really interesting, I get myself in all sorts of things. So I have my company and then I work with a number of companies outside of that, in addition to the podcast. And I had lunch with a friend the other day who I used to work with. He's now at a VP at a big company. And he was like, John, how do you have the time to do all of these things? Right. And then he went ahead and started telling me everything his bosses tasked him to do, all the teams he had to lead, all the initiatives that were under him. I was like, bro, how do you have the time to do all that stuff? The difference is I choose to do it versus somebody else choosing you to do it. So talk a little bit about that. I'm sure that, man, growing this company from nothing to where it is today and and to go much further, I'm sure it's a ton of work, but I mean, you have the passion, you're choosing to do that. What what difference does that make rather than somebody tasking you with this without your decision? For me, it's more about prioritization. So you're wearing, you're in the corporate 
world. A lot of the managers or, or upper level executives don't have a firm understanding of the daily operations. So they'll prioritize tasks where you know, you know there's a there's a degree of importance that you should be applying to a certain project, but yeah, it's being overlooked because it doesn't fit their scope. So yeah. for me, like it's imperative for me to understand how the what the operation in a prior in, in the list of priority and me being able to manage those tasks appropriately. So nothing gets overlooked. It's making sure that, you know, I'm extending a bit of patience on in some areas and I'm not losing sight of the small tasks that really like are almost an aggregate to your success. So it's outside of being able to collaborate with internal business partners, it's also an ability to not let things slip through the cracks and making sure that you're on top of the paperwork, you're on top of following up because people, you know, if you're, if you're trying to collab with somebody outside of, you know, your, your, your brand, you want to make sure that you're presenting, you know, to, very descriptive responsibilities and tasks and requests so that they can help you facilitate whatever it is that you're requesting and not just come unorganized. So we like to be very cognizant of people's time. We make sure that we're, we're prioritizing tasks and our follow-up is next level. I make sure that I'm always on top of whatever I say I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, I make sure that's reciprocated on, on both sides. Yeah. And I think it really comes down to the, having that passion. You know, this is a pr- passion project. And because of that, it makes us, you know, make sure we're getting things done, but also think of new ways and, and, and better ways to do things this way. You know, we're constantly moving forward. Yeah, I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say, you know, I'd be doing this if I wasn't get paid. And there's a lot of strength in that because, you know, when you get up, you go to work in the morning, it's not like, ah, I got to do this again. It's like, no, I want to do it. And what a blessing to be able to have the opportunity to make money doing it. Yeah, yeah. And, and every day is different, you know. That's true. That's true. And Eric, uh, you make a good point. I was thinking, how many times have we complained about bosses who were like, man, my boss has no idea what this job really takes. Yeah. But if you're your own boss, you do very much uh, have an idea. And my brother, he told me this one time when I started my own business, he said, John, I'll tell you the good things and the bad things about being an entrepreneur. The uh, good thing is you can't get fired. The bad (laughs) news is maybe you should be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Some days are harder than others for sure. So take me to this. So you, you guys created this idea. It's a school project, but man, going from a school project, something on paper that you're pitching a professor, you're, you're pitching fellow college kids. That's a whole lot different than having that shoe in your hands, uh, that you just showed us. And so take me through when you decided we're really going to do this. Holy crap. If you told me, John, start a shoe company, I don't even know where I would start. So why don't you tell our audience where you would start? Oh, yeah. So there's this is quite a story. So the I guess the journey through entrepreneurship was something that I did initially like or voluntarily embark on. I feel like it was kind of fate and destiny kind of intertwining itself in my life. So, you know, I had a corporate job. I had relocated to a different state. And at that time in my life, I just wasn't willing to make that commitment. Then I, I then transitioned to another a completely different industry where I, where, I, where I knew nothing of, but I wasn't confident as, you know, I'm a quick learner. And, and if I'm interested in, in the project or discipline, I can absorb information pretty quick and, and just, you know, become experienced in a short amount of time. So yeah. I'm on the bus, I'm going to, to this job and I'm scrolling through Instagram and then boom, I see this product to like, who resembles our products, functionality, and versatility. And I'm like, my heart just like drops to my stomach. I'm like, oh my God, we've wow. been waiting all this time 
we, we knew that we should have acted sooner. We've acted too late. And now there's someone that's like approaching our territory. Amen. So, you know, I do investigation. That's one thing about myself, which I've realized over the course of a couple of years, I've become obsessive on, on certain subjects. So I'm like, okay, I need to know everything about this company. Who are they? Who, who's the founders? What, what product differentiation are they bringing in the market? So I do all my recon and I'm just like, damn, like, okay, they're a real product. They have a dual soul functionality. Yeah, it's not, you know, it wouldn't meet ours in terms of uh, superiority, but you know, they're in market. So they're a couple steps ahead of us already. We're already sure. behind the eight ball. They're um, and then you're, yeah, but they're overseas. But yet, you know, with DTC, you can sell goods anywhere in the world. So I already knew that was a threat. So, you know, I call my brother and I'm like, Rye, like, it pains me to tell you this, but there's a, there's a company and a brand that's, that's doing something that we've always dreamt of doing. It seems like now they're approaching the States because I'm hearing wind that they're going to be, there's going to be a slow rollout in a couple stores. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I don't know about you, but if there was ever a time in our lives to do this, I think I was 26 at the time with like no kids. I think I was living at home still. I was saving up to buy two families. So I had a little money in the bank. I'm like, if there, if there was ever time and opportunity to do this, like I think it's right now. So my first project happened to be um, in the city working on a kid's showroom. So like my first project in construction happened to be in the footwear industry. Like this is <laughs> crazy. You know, like there's no other sign. I feel like God's telling me that I just really just need to pursue this hundred percent. That's awesome. So then shortly after that phone call, maybe a couple of weeks, not more than a month, I resigned. And then we just started really the ground, like creating the groundswell, reaching out to friends and family. You could probably take it from here, but that's that. Yeah. yeah that's basically that's how we're really, you know, that's what really motivated us to get it going is that fact we well, saw a competitor doing something similar and we were like, okay, we could do it way better. And you know, they're not going to beat us to the, to the American market. So that's, that's why we jumped in. That's also incredible. A concept, you know, and they were growing right relatively quickly. They were selling, they couldn't keep inventory on, on shelves long enough. Okay. So their, their alone had proved that the concept was interesting to markets and that, you know, the, the market had validated the, the versatility and functionality. So all we needed to do was just bring something to market that was superior. It sounds easy and simple in theory, but yeah, yeah, figuring out, you know, who, like, where do I go now? What do I do? We started leveraging our contacts, figuring out who knew menu because my parents don't have background in, in production or manufacturing or any stretch. So yeah. we started leveraging our contacts. Okay. Who do we know? Like who's doing something remotely similar to being an entrepreneur or small business owner at the time in 2014, 2015, like being uh-huh. an entrepreneur really wasn't a hot topic. Like, yeah, it was spoken about, but like, it really wasn't a prevalent conversation where people were like taking that in college and like really aspiring to be an entrepreneur. Sure. It just was a conversational point. Like, oh, it'd be cool if I did X, but never really thought that could, it could really be a, be a reality. Yeah. So we didn't really have a lot of contacts who were doing this, this kind of stuff. So we, we, you know, we found someone who recommended that, um, we speak to someone to, in New York that he could do it locally. And that was just a fail. I mean, he was just sourcing common materials and blending okay. together. Really didn't provide the concept and the dream that we had envisioned. So yeah. then we leveraged another contract in China. We tried to work with a broker and like more or less an intermediary. They just had a relationship with Chinese manufacturing, sure. but not from footwear. So we only got so far with the factory until we're like, listen, you know, the factory, after sending them the deposit for financing for, for molds, samples, renderings, 3D drawings, they're like, yeah, yeah this is impossible. Like, this has never been, and it's, in fact, it's never been done before. So we're like, yeah, we can't do wow. this. So we're like, damn, all that time, all that money, all that, all the times were really hurt. 
you know, the money hurt too, but time is, is a commodity that you really couldn't, you can't really put a price on it. So sure. You know, like, dang, we lost all that time. And then it got to a point where we may have struck out one more time. And then I was like, okay, like we really got to focus because we're not going to get it done this. So we can't cut any corners. We really have to understand, you know, the nuances of a secret industry. We have to get, we have to involve ourselves with, with experts in the field so that we can better understand, you know, the procedures and processes. Cause at that point we were really inexperienced. So simply, yeah. you know, I leveraged a few, a few websites, a couple of couple people had reached out to me on Upwork and Fiverr. And then you know, we met the right people at the right time who introduced us to the right factories. And that's pretty much how it started. That's incredible. That's a story of resourcefulness and a great network, right? And so yeah. I think throughout my career, I've thought, you know, before I was more experienced and, and even still today, you know, there's some things where I think like, man, I don't have these hard skills, right? Or I don't feel like I'm in the place where I want to be or have that confidence. And honestly, I think nine times out of 10, if I was going to hire somebody or I was going to invest in somebody, it's somebody who, even if they haven't done it, you can see they have that resourcefulness and that drive, that curiosity to figure out how to do it, whether that's them doing it or finding people in their network and ways to get it done. Would you agree with that based on your experience? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's an undervalued skill set that really isn't spoken about much, but can make all the difference. Absolutely, yeah, that drive goes a really long way. So then at some point you said, let's get on Shark Tank. Mm. And so I, I think that's so cool that you guys uh, were on there. I have some friends involved with Shark Tank as well with, with one of those sharks. But tell me about that process. How did that idea come up? And if somebody wants to get on that show, how do you do that? So after finally making the product and bringing it to market, we were just doing everything we can to, to try to get sales. Like, you know, as first time business owners, we're like, all right, you know, the process of making the shoe was super hard. And we're like, once we got over that hurdle and we got some shoes to the States, that's it. They're going to fly off the shelves yeah. and everyone's going to love us. Everyone's going to run to the website. <laughs> that's how it works, right? Yeah. yeah. Tomorrow yeah. we're going to be on Ellen. And yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. You know, there are some growing pains and learning how to, how to run marketing and do all that and get um, attention to the brand. So, like I said, we're trying to do everything we can, pop-up shops, events, and, you know, just online marketing and, and running ads. And for a while, it was hard because, you know, we weren't really getting the reciprocation that we thought we deserved as a product. But then we didn't have, like, that stamp of approval yet. But as soon as we got the call from Shark Tank, we knew that that would be on its way. So because of we were starting to do some... Uh, online marketing and running ads. Luckily, not too many people saw it, but the right person saw it. Uh, someone ca- that does casting for Shark Tank saw us, reached out to us. You know, we didn't oh wow, they it. reached out to you. Yeah, they, cool. they sent an email, and at the time, you know that we we thought the same. We're like, wait a minute, that doesn't really happen. Like this has to be a joke. Someone's <laughs> messing around with us. You're and, right. Uh, as soon as we looked at the email, we saw this email signatures and the phone numbers. We did we did our research, and we're like, okay, this is a real deal. And luckily, it was. That's incredible. So you get the call, you you arrange everything so that you're going to be casted. So did they give you any tips as far as like, hey, you got to be ready for X, Y, Z, or is it completely up to you when you're about to be on that show to be prepared? Yeah, I mean, they do a really great job getting prepared. So they're, they're very hands-on. They actually give you like your own personalized team that just kind of works with you to get things right. They don't cool. do any work for you by any means, but they make sure all your paperwork is filled out. 
And when you're sending in the pitch videos, they help critique it, but they don't like give you the formula or anything. They just say if this is good or bad. But having their experience and, and then, you know, when they say that something can be better or scratch this or add this, we were, th- you know, we, we listened, we, we, you know, we worked collaboratively, collaboratively with them. And, yeah. you know, they were great up until the, up until the day of the shooting. They were still like outside in the parking lot with us, making sure we got everything right. Yeah, that makes a huge difference. And it, it makes sense that, you know, they want their show to be great. And if you have people showing up who aren't prepared or, you know, a Mr. Wonderful says, you don't know your numbers. No one wants to yeah. do a deal with you. That's not great television, right? So I think yeah. there's a there's a standpoint of, okay, what is the actual entrepreneurial business? And then also we're doing TV. So yeah. when we talk about TV and the show itself, Going in, obviously, Damon John, he's he's the apparel guy, right? He's the guy who does manufacturing. Was he the one who, and he was the guy who you guys did a deal with on the show, but did you have him in mind ahead of time, or were you thinking, we're going to go anywhere, anybody will give us a deal? Yeah, I mean, we definitely wanted a deal from any of them just because, you know, we, we thought that any of them would be beneficial to us. But we definitely singled out and targeted Damon and Mark, of course, because he's the billionaire. Uh, yeah, and he owns the Mavericks. And we wanted to be able to, like, check out the shoes with Maverick logos and all that stuff. But, but yeah, we got one of two, and we were super happy with, with getting Damon because he is the fashion guy, and his stamp of approval in the fashion world means something, carries some weight. So it was great. Cool. So tell me. Lori's interest as well. Yeah, Lori was great. Her involvement with QVC connection. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, she had she wasn't prepared or trusted like trusted her her lack of experience in footwear at, yeah. during the show. You know what she illustrated, but she was certainly interested and in, and we would love to have been partners with her. But this was something that Damon wanted to take on individually and completely. Yeah, I think during the episode, there you know, Lori is offering something and she says, "Well, you know, something around the long along the lines of is Damon need to come in with me on this." He says, "Absolutely not." And yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a shocker for all of us. We're like, wow, yeah. it's, it's really cutthroat up here. Yeah. But, yeah. How does that feel? So, like, I mean, number one, the show is pretty dramatic. They have, you know, the doors open and you give the pitch and the music and everything. Obviously, I'm sure that yeah. music isn't live. It's probably post production. But when yeah. those doors open and you walk yeah. through, man, what is that yeah. feeling like? Yeah. It's like, you know, we were just trying to prepare as best we can so that once we got up there, we, we, we looked apart. But uh, so we were even practicing behind those doors. We were like, whispering the pitch to each other, making sure it's all good. And then when you say, you know, on three, those doors open, you have to walk through those, those things open. We just, you know, we have to walk through and then you have to stand in front of the sharks for a little bit. And and even when they said go, I, you know, I I started the pitch, but I was so nervous that it almost like didn't resonate for, it took me a couple of seconds to get going, but I eventually started and, you know, thankfully the pitch went good. The whole episode went good, but it was definitely nerve wracking, but we just try to stay as confident as possible and not give any energy of, you know, not knowing our numbers or, you know, just, yeah, we wanted to make sure that we were exuding like confidence because they yeah. can read right through that. So just before the doors open, you know, we huddled together, we said a quick prayer, we just, you know, understood like the magnitude of the opportunity here. We didn't, you know, definitely didn't want to waste this. We were prepared, we knew our number. You know, we wanted to be authentic and and, and just uh, genuine so that, you know, we can we can exude this this level of confidence that the sharks would feel comfortable with us if you weren't trying to take advantage of them by any stretch. So once the door is open, like, I don't really remember being too nervous. I just, like, obviously I wanted to make sure that, that we did well, but I felt like we were prepared enough where we, you know, we would impress the sharks with the functionality of the shoe, how much you knew about the industry, how much you knew about the product. And it was just going to up to us to make, you know, a deal worth our, worth, worth both, both of our, our whiles. 
Yeah, I'm curious about your preparation because essentially what you did, if you break it down, it's it's really public speaking, right? It's it's a it's a public speaking presentation. A yeah. few years ago, I did a TED talk and I it went well because I practiced so much. But the way I practiced, I, I was list, I wrote it, of course, and I would listen to it in the car. So I recorded audio and I would like listen to it during my commutes. But the one thing I didn't do that I'm definitely going to do next time that that I noticed the moment I got on stage, I didn't do it in front of anybody. Mm. Like I didn't get in front of my family and say, hey, let me give this talk and you be the audience. Did you do anything like that? Or, or what was the preparation beyond just getting your your numbers ready and stuff like that? Um, you know, we always uh, keep some friends around us. So as we practice, you know, they we had them record us and we had, you know, get some feedback, but nothing too formal where we had, I, we, we wish we did would have had like some, you know, an audience and asking us questions. So we were prepared more about it. But yeah. the producers yeah. that yeah, we were casting, they pretty much were like the validation that we needed. And okay. that pitch is only, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. So it Good wasn't point. like, you know, yeah, Ted talk, we we're on stage for 45 minutes. It was just like a minute pitch and then Q and a opens right away. And using cool. in bouncing ideas off of the, the producers of the show, you know, I felt like at one point I had to go completely back to the drawing board and, and recreate the whole thing because I had to remember that it's actually for TV. You know, it's not so formal. It's got to be a little bit theatrical, some, you know, uh, just extra, Cheeky a little cheesy, bit extra yeah. to really get the attention of the sharks and the, you know, the producers of the show. So, you know, that's when I went back to the drawing board. I tried to make it a little more fun, a little more engaging than we did. That's a good point. Having, yeah. And having sharks involved or being involved in the pitch is also, you know, a key element there because it's great for television. So inviting a shark up to, on the stage or inviting the entire panel up, you definitely want to engage them in a way so that the audience or though the viewers can see like a human side. And that's right. important. Yeah, that's interesting because there, there's elements there. It is an actual investment pitch, but you're also it's an it's entertainment at the end of the day at the same time. So yeah. So you do the presentation. I've I've seen it. You know, Damon throws Lori under the bus is, is what I think the title of the yeah, <laughs> video yeah. on YouTube there. But you guys do the deal. Congratulations, first of all. But now it's time to do the work, right? So when a company goes in the tank, you you know, you have an agreement with the shark on TV, what is it like now? Because now you've got, you know, people might see that and be like, oh my gosh. You could call him and text any time. He's sending FUBU gear to the house. You know, you you know, you guys are riding around together and he's got all the answers to business. But from what I've heard with my friend who's been in the tank, not not quite that way. What is life after the tank actually like? Hectic. It's a complete <laughs> it's a complete three sixty. I mean the, the day that it the day that it aired, you know, we were fortunate enough to be or unfortunate to be the very first brain to appear on that episode oh wow so we didn't really have time a moment to, to, for it to sink in i mean we were hoping that we were towards the end of the show but we kicked off so i was surprised i was like holy crap that's me and then i like froze for a second and then you just see the traffic you know to the website and that's something that you know we had to talk, contact shopify let them know what was to ex be expected and paypal and all these payment processors let them right. know you know not to lock us out it's just we have this once in a lifetime opportunity on television so you know, just kind of watching the traffic come to the website and all the funnels like working at, at simultaneously was just something that was a wave of interest. I don't think it, I, I, I may not ever see it again. 
I mean, it's really hard to replicate just because all of America is watching in, you know, an eight minute time span. So cool to see the level of interest again, come to the website and then they break for commercial, you know, very, very dramatically. And then they cut right back and then you see us make a deal finally. And then there was an explosion. Yeah. It was almost like going from a small pond to someone just dropping us in the ocean and the, you know, it was a storm going on. Yeah. No so, scuba diving equipment. And without, yeah. Yeah, without the, the help of the sharks, like as we go, as your, as your friend can allude to, yeah. can to the, the, it's, it's really, we have to navigate the waters like just, you know, with our own, you know, just common sense and, and how we're going to do things because there is really limited help. It's not like they're totally not involved, but there's no like business coaching and, and being on hands on, at least, you know, with some of the sharks, it might be like that. But with Damon, he's so busy doing his his own thing. And, uh, sure. you know, and then the COVID hit and I'm sure he had a bunch of obligations to, to, to attend to. So, you know, we, uh, we just try to do it as best we can so that when he does come around and talk and ask those questions we're, we're right there with positive answers yeah back to that resourcefulness you know just yeah reacting on intuition you know putting your yourself in position if you were a customer items that you'd want to see messages that you'd want to read to make sure that you know we were kind of taking our removing ourselves as business owners instead of you know, replacing ourselves with actual customers so that we can better navigate you know the conversation and expectations yeah, I think it's important for people to understand, you know, Damon doesn't invest in you to become your business coach, right? Nope. It's right. like, here's money, it's for a purpose, he's doing a gazillion other things. And, you know, not only, like, it's great to have investment, but it's also like you have, they invest in you to make an ROI, right? right. Yep. And because you're going to do what they can't do on their own. And I, my friend said, yeah, when I reach out to, you know, so-and-so's team, you know, the answer early on was, well, you're an expert on your own business. What would you do? Yeah. I'm just providing the capital. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah, we totally take that challenge. And, you know, we just want to be able to show him that we can do it with or without, you know, any assistance. Of course. And I think that's incredible. So another thing that I love about your guys' company, you guys really, it appears that you want to help other people, right? And I think that's awesome because when you can have a platform and you have a product and you can use that to make a positive impact in people's lives, man, that, that really means a lot. It's inspiring to me personally. Talk a little bit about what you're doing with donating some of your footwear. Yeah. So um, really on the onset of COVID, the COVID outbreak in April, you know, we wanted to do something. So, you know, the first thing we thought about is, you know, why not donating pairs? So we, we visited a nearby hospital and we donated about 50 pairs there, but then we took it a step further and we're like, you know what? I mean, these, these heroes are really making the ultimate sacrifice each and every day by, you know, just sacrificing their health on, on the front lines and making sure that they're doing their best to combat this, this coronavirus. So we, we outfitted a pair, we just recall the hero blue edition and, you know, it, it's nice. uniquely the same as any product, but it's distinctly different by the insole is, is comprised of a word cloud with words closely associated within the industry, a hero, bravery, community, love. And then we have a pull tab that reads love recognizes no boundaries Cool for the viewers that are, are able to see it. So, and then we discount them by 50%. So we donated pairs here in New Jersey to Hackensack and also Hoboken. And cool. ABC was fortunate enough they had caught wind of our first donation to Hackensack and then brought brought a camera crew and, and filmed and documented our donation to to the medical or doctors and nurses over in Hoboken. We were able to meet the mayor of Hoboken and just, you know, also provide food and water. And, you know, we've still felt like that wasn't enough. So 
know, we're continuing to donate, you know, those that are, are interested and, and are looking for, for footwear, you know, please message us at, at pressrelations at moves.co or send us a direct message on Instagram. Yeah, that's great. I think, I think the, the term for that somebody coined it is like compassionate capitalism or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so cool. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in, you know, the, what, what a brand can do, you know, brands, I mean, startups may not have a ton of money, but brands, when they generate revenue, they're able to either take that money or that energy, that, that buzz around their brand or the physical products and really help people who wouldn't have it otherwise. What was the reaction to the people who you were giving shoes to and providing discounts for? Oh, they were they were so happy, especially the doctors and nurses that you know they're in there all day. Uh, it's it's hard for them to really feel the appreciation. So when they you know we brought them outside, we started to you know put them in our new shoes. They were taking you know taking their Crocs off, sliding into our more comfortable shoes. They're on their feet all day, so right. you know it was perfect. It was a perfect thing to do. I felt great doing it, and we're going to continue to do it as much as we can going forward. That's awesome. And I, I know sustainability is part of what you guys are feel very strongly about. Talk a little bit about the sustainability with your product. Yeah, sustainability was really built into the product design, the versatility of it and allowing for you to not have to buy as many shoes. You don't have to buy a bunch of slippers, sandals, you know, slides. It's kind of just like a one shoe that will be able to do multiple things. So it saves on waste. But we're now we're focusing the initiatives to on the materials themselves. Now that we have a little more capital to, to experiment, we're going to try to make our uh, source our materials more uh, responsibly and just create a, a more sustainable business altogether. We started with the packaging because that was that was an easy transition, but now it's going on the shoes too. So what is the what was the packaging made of originally, and what is it made of now? How does that work? Originally, there were some really nice matte black boxes. Plastic. Um, had they had magnets. plastic inside? They had yeah. magnets. It was just it was it was outfitted like crazy because you know we felt like packaging was super important and we didn't we didn't want to lose the aesthetic of the packaging but we definitely needed to make it more sustainable so and, oh and the, uh, the the older packaging you also had to put in other boxes to then send it out so that the package themselves didn't get destroyed so now right. we're, yeah. we're we're shipping yeah we're shipping the same packaging that we're putting the shoes in they're made out of 100% recyclable cardboard and you know they're sealed so that. Once they're in that packaging, they're, they're sent out in that same packaging, no extra materials, no extra waste. That's cool. I'm a big believer in packaging. I know I had the first see of a Beats by Dre on the podcast, Susan Paley, and she's now with Drop Labs. That's actually the, the episode mm-hmm. you guys watched. And what struck me both with Beats and Drop Labs is the packaging. And that presentation, there's something about it, right? Where like, you get that box, you open it up, and you're like, this is worth the money that I, you know, I mean, even when it's not the product itself, there's just that, I love that, I don't know, that take on design and stuff. And I think, Ryan, this is something that sounds like you have an expertise in that like beyond just actually the the product on your feet, what is that whole experience with the brand, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that has inspired you or to make the brand what it is today? Well, I mean, we've always wanted to make sure that our marketing and our brand narrative really reflects our customer base, which is super diverse and inclusive. Yeah. So making sure, you know, we cast models of all genders and, and ethnicities is something that we've always kind of pride ourselves on. Uh, as, you know, we're, we're Hispanic, we want to make sure that, you know, we're speaking or we were a platform for everybody. So that was something that we took, we take, we still take a lot of pride in. And, you know, trying, trying to replicate and duplicate a lot of the success that these other bigger brands are experiencing. 
you know, watching kind of all of our trajectory, you know, watching their their flagship stores open. And that's something that we always aspire to do. And, you know, they've, they've grown in scale rather quickly while being sustainable. So a few brands that we watch really closely and, and you know, we want to reflect internally is something that, you know, we're always kind of keeping our eye on. Yeah, we just we just want to send that po- that message of inspiration, positivity. Just the name moves itself. Just we want people to be able to, you know, move and f- move forward. You know, chase their chase their dreams. You know, continue on their pursuit, whatever that pursuit is. If it's that being an entrepreneur or just you know, being happy, whatever it is for you, we just want you to move towards that and just do it in our shoes, I guess. And do it freely. Heck yeah, making moves. You guys, moves. Moves. you guys are quite it. literally making moves. Moves yeah. somewhere, I guess. Exactly. You know, something that when I was in, I have a marketing degree. And so when I was in school, one of the things that was just like this eye-opening moment was we were studying benchmarking brands and stuff. And they're like, if you're not number one, a strategy that a lot of brands employ, they just look at what the industry leader does and they copy it. And I was like... You got to be yeah. kidding me. It's <laughs> and it's 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 a little more complex than that, but I think what's super cool is yeah, you guys are taking some of the best of what you've seen from some of these brands that you love, implementing that but making it your own with your own unique product. Does that sound pretty accurate? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, there there's a quote from Bruce Lee that I live by. Okay. Um he he mentions where like why he was trying to craft his own karate, he was no, absorbing what was useful, he was discarding what was useless, and then he was introducing something that was u- uniquely his own. I love that. And that's something that, you know, we pride ourselves on each and every day. That's cool. Yeah, because it's, I mean, there's that perspective that like, oh, you're not going to make anything new. Everything's been thought of before. And I think there's like a little bit of truth to that as far as like, yeah, there's there's been a lot that's created, but all it takes is a, a little shift, a little twist, something like exactly the product you've developed that can solve the solution of, you know, comfortable footwear in the house and then durable footwear outside. Well, I know this is your first version of the shoe. What are some of the challenges when it comes to scaling that? Like, I can imagine that in my mind, not having any experience with it, of course, I'm like, okay, you just do the same thing a second time, but I'm sure it's probably a multitude of things to, to start adding these additional products. Yeah, well, as you are on this route to scalability, you want to make sure that you have operations in place that are scaled. So making yes. sure your 3PL is at capacity, making sure you're revamping customer service and, and making making new hires because you're in preparation for these influx of customers. So, you know, and, and, and with respect to operation, again, you want to make sure that the operations you have in place are scalable. And then two, you know, making sure that the marketing meets a brand narrative and everything's very succinct. So whatever you're communicating through on your website it echoes what you're communicating on email also through text and then you know whatever your whatever content you're promoting on on social media all echoes the same thing you want to make sure that the meshing is is very consistent so you know the v2 is going to is a follow in a lot of footsteps that the v1 has already kind of established but at the same time you know we want to introduce ourselves the the younger demographic the younger market and to make sure that you know it's more about now being outside whether when compared to V1 was very much sheltering in place. And one of the biggest challenges, as always, is, is the capital behind the project. So yeah, yeah. You know that a lot of the money is oftentimes tied in capital. So it's there, which causes some restraints on the marketing end. So you want to make sure that there's a healthy balance of both. You don't want to be left with all these un, you know outstanding orders. You want to make sure you have inventory safe side, but at the same time, have money for marketing. It's a very fine line. 
Yeah, that's a great point. A mentor of mine uh, shared with me one time, he said, most companies fail because they haven't built their company in a way to scale. Like you've built it in such a way where it's like, yeah, we're two brothers, we're doing this thing, maybe a few other people sort of thing. But then when it comes time, you don't have these scalable, scalable processes and that vision, those mentors in place to help take you to the next level. I am curious with your experience. How long? How long have you guys been doing this business? Four years. Four years. So in the four years, what is one, two, three things you've identified that are crucial in building a company that you think the audience would benefit from? Mm, taking care of the customer is the number one priority for us, and that's you know obviously customer service with orders, but also on social media platforms. You know, if someone or people are commenting or reaching out, make sure you get right back. You know, and not just with automated messages like be personal um, really have your personality shine through the social media because no one just wants to talk to a robot they want to talk to actual you know person behind the brand so good point yeah customers first is definitely something that we strongly believe too I guess when you're building a, a small team to make sure that it's a, it is a collaborative environment that you know we had discussed earlier when you're bringing on someone on board whether it's a co-founder or hollow executive make sure you have a diversification of skill sets you don't need someone that is equally as skilled in a certain area as you are. You want to make sure that you know you you also respect each other's disciplines. You know, not not to cross boundaries right. and make sure that the person you're hiring, you're entrusting to do that job. And it doesn't have to be perfect, you know, but it has to get done. Yes, that's a good too. point. Execution, right? Yeah, because everybody has an idea, man. John, you know this. Like, there's, <laughs> I got a ton of ideas, ideas, guys. <laughs> you know, but what are you what are you able to accomplish? You sure. know, and execute. That's all the difference. Yeah, and I guess the third one, at least for me, would be just to kind of always, always be learning in your field, whatever that is, and mm-hmm. and just you know, equip equipping yourself with new knowledge all the time. Things change constantly; they change super fast. So, being able to to pivot and make changes on the fly, and it all comes down to the you know the, your experience, but as well as you know who you're being around, what type of things you're learning, you know, and who you're reaching out to, connecting with. That's you know like how I reached out to you and. Yeah, you know, we, we were talking about gaming, and you know now we're learning a little bit about the gaming market because uh, you know you're you're sharing that with us. So just right. constantly, you know, just always try to always learn. Yeah, every step of the way. Mine would be ne- to never you know never detract from from innovation. You know, we don't ever stop innovating and continue yeah. to brainstorm ideas and concepts so that we're you know again pioneering the market because right now in a lot of ways you know we we are the dominant brand in the indoor supper space. So. Want to make sure that you know that's solidified and we're and we're establishing ourselves. Yeah, just so everyone listening knows that that first brand that had the dual sole technology <laughs> in the market, they they don't no longer have that. They're, yeah, they're just slippers now. So we're the only ones. Oh, there the you go. Sole. Nice, yeah. knocked them out. Well knocked done. Out. <laughs> <laughs> one one up, one down. Well, your your point about innovation, I heard Jeff Bezos say one time, and there's probably few people in business who who have better advice than him with his success, but. He was talking about how somebody, they had just had a great quarter. Their quarterly results came out. And he said, yeah, so-and-so is congratulating me on a great quarter. But he said, but that was baked three years ago. And right, right now we're working. And he's like, so, you know, not to be cocky, but like we knew that was going to be good. Like we really worked through that. And like, I haven't thought about that for a minute. Right now we're working for the quarter three years from now and really doing our due diligence to make sure that that's going forward. So yeah, 
Uh, it's, it's powerful too. I mean, you said it yourself, Jeff Bezos is very accomplished and there's no better advice coming directly from him. So, you know, I think we continue just to like had Ryan alluded to earlier, you know, we're trying to learn and absorb as much information as possible. We don't you know while we're working the nine to five grind or nine to nine grind, you know, very rarely listen to music or listening to a podcast or a master class. Sure. You know, just possibly listening or tuning into clubhouse because, you know, there's, it's, it's, you, you can't, I can't learn anything new from Pandora, but you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of apps that are easily accessible that, you know, we can tap into and, and gain some knowledge. I love that. Well, I love uh, what you guys are doing. It's a super cool brand. You have an amazing story. My brother is is my best friend. And so I, you know, while we don't do business together, it's super cool for me to see how you guys are collaborating, doing this together. Why don't you tell the audience how they can get a hold of you when they need to just follow you and also when they need to pick up a fresh pair? Yeah, for sure. So we, you can find us on all social media handles at Moves. That's spelled M-U-V-E. We're online. Uh, our online store is moves.co, moves.co, or moves.com. But yeah, M-U-V-E-Z.co. Reach out, DM us, whatever. We're usually tackling the DMs, so you'll be hearing directly from us. Yeah. That's incredible. Cool. Well, thank you again for joining us here on the DLC Drop Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank thanks you so for much, Sean. This was great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 